he went undercover years ago to combat sex trafficking overseas. He's here to tell his amazing story and how he's dedicated his life to helping and preventing and rescuing victims of sex trafficking across the United States and the globe. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Have I got a deal for you? No, I'm not trying to sell you a bridge or swampland. Enter contests for your chance to win great prizes by subscribing to the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show email newsletter. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. Calling us from Colorado, we have Matt Parker on the phone. Matt is an interesting guy. He is CEO and co-founder of the Exodus Road Project. Their website's theexodusroad.com. They do work all around the world to rescue sex trafficking victims, to help police, to educate Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated, Matt. Absolutely. My pleasure. By the way, I got introduced to the Exodus Road via the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. I was in a room. Someone was talking about what they do, and they're like, I got to have these people on the show. It's so amazing what they do. And if you haven't gotten the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, it's free. It's a version of your Android and iPhone devices. Costs you nothing. Look for me. Follow me, John, middle initial J, Wiley, W I L E Y, or just search for at L E T radio show. Matt, you could be doing anything in the world, and yet you kind of dedicated your life to sex trafficking victims, rescuing them, helping wherever you can. How is that possible? Yeah, thank you, Jay. It's such a good question. I ask myself quite a bit, actually. And the answer is quite simple. I didn't intend uh, to fight human trafficking or enter into this global sex trade that we now fight. I, I really began quite innocently. I was living in Thailand uh, with my family, and we were running a children's home there. And this home was full of migrant girls who were minors. Uh, We had about 48 girls in our children's home. And my wife and I have just always had this passion to help the world's poor. And that's why we found ourselves in Thailand running this children's home. Uh, This was over 10 years ago now. And we didn't know very much about human trafficking. And that's not what we were doing. That's not why we were there. But naturally, as we began to serve the community where we lived and as we began to interact with the village communities where these girls we were serving were from, we started to hear these rumors in the community of brokers going and traveling to the the northern borders of Thailand and recruiting 
the, the really young and pretty tribal girls and then trafficking them, moving them to a larger city under false promise of employment. Uh, and oftentimes those promises would be positive, like, hey, come work in a restaurant in Bangkok or, or somewhere else, or, hey, well, you can make a lot of money if you do massage. But then we discovered and learned that that almost never was true. That that's wasn't kind of the hook they use to get people uh, trapped and hooked into this. That's right. And by, and by uh, the way, b- before yeah. we go further in this, I want people to understand something. This is not just a Southeast Asian problem. This is an American problem. It is all over the world. And, you know, as a cop working in Baltimore, Matt, we had an area, it's called the block, where all the strip clubs were. And we had dancers that did the circuit. And many of them came from Minnesota, Wisconsin, and they were hooked the same way. They got involved in a sex game the same way. They became or were forced into becoming addicted to drugs and doing this to support a habit. But a lot of people made a lot of money off these women, and they almost always had lives of destitution, crime, violence, desperation, drug addiction. It was horrible. Yeah, absolutely true. It's a global problem, and there's 40.8 million modern-day slaves today. That's the estimation from the International Labor Organization. And you're absolutely right. It's in, of course, Southeast Asia, but it's all around the world here in the United States as well. Um, So this this whole journey for me of kind of being baptized into the underworld where girls and boys are bought and sold, it was kind of... uh, a, a left turn in my career. Yeah, I'll and say I, you 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 have a communications degree and you've done a lot of work in the faith-based community for decades and you were right. running a children's home in Southeast Asia for those reasons. Right. Yeah. And then all of and a sudden you kind of like, wait a second, what's going on here and here's <laughs> here's one thing. I know you don't want to blow your own horn. People love to talk a big game, especially on social media. Well, I do this, I do that, or they ought to do this, or someone ought to do this. I'm sure those thoughts crossed your mind, but somewhere along the way, it was, I got to do this. Yeah, yeah, and that I think that was a type of conviction, really. Um, and I like to say that, you know, there's there's times in life where you stumble across a certain amount of suffering that you can't turn away from. And that's what I felt like. It's as I started to work with law enforcement and learn more about the issue, I became aware that boys were being raped for profit, like a mile from where I lived. And so, of course, I have three kids of my own. I had two daughters and a son. And oh, just the knowledge of that compelled me to get involved any way that I could. At the moment, I didn't know I would become an undercover operative for the Thai Royal Police. I just wanted to help. It was very innocent. But then very soon after, law enforcement approached me and said, Matt, listen, everybody loves to talk about human trafficking. But what we need is somebody to help us find where these kids are. Um, And so they deputized me in the beginning just as an informant because I'm a white American male, uh, I'm offered, when I travel, I was regularly being offered children. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I know people so, that talk about these trips to Thailand, and I'm not going to yeah. use the, the, the colorful language they do. But the truth is, Matt, when people talk about that as if it's no big deal, I let them know quite up front, I think it's a very big deal, and I'm very much opposed to it. And if you are the type of person who wants to travel to another country to have sex with an unraised child, you're a pervert and you're a pedophile. I, I, I don't know how to say it any other way. Yeah. Well, and this is the thing. It's a difficult crime to prove, and it's pretty easy to hide. A lot of this type of abuse is happening in private homes, you know, back rooms. And so law enforcement, at least in the international space, oftentimes are suspected of being law enforcement because they're Thai or they're, they're Indian or they're from the local culture. And a lot of this type of work um, is, is, is uh, for foreigners. And traffickers oftentimes don't assume that uh, an American tourist is working with the police. Well, that would be the, so, uh, the, the ultimate customer for their services, wouldn't they? Absolutely. Because of we, we represent money, you know, and a lot of the traffickers are vulnerable and exploited themselves. They're caught up oftentimes in large syndicates and the whole system is is a broken system full of broken people. We're talking with Matt Parker. Matt is CEO and co-founder of the Exodus Road Project. Go to the exodusroad.com, combating sex trafficking, rescuing people all over the globe. When we return, we'll talk more about his amazing undercover work and where it's grown from there and how you can help out. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. Turn a conversation with Matt Parker, CEO and co-founder of the Exodus Road. I have to apologize. It's called the Exodus Road Project. Go online, theexodusroad.com. They specialize in rescuing sex trafficking victims around the globe. Uh, before we end the break, Matt, you're telling a story. You're, you got a communications degree. You're working in faith-based area. You are part of your journey. You and your wife are in Southeast Asia and Thailand. You're working at a, a home for, for children who have a lot of issues and a lot of problems. And you discover, I know you're probably unaware at the time, how deep and how widespread the sex trafficking problem is. And you started in a conversation with the Thai Royal Police. Can you take it from there? Yeah, absolutely, Jay. So when I, when I became aware that human trafficking was as proliferate as it was, I began to meet with law enforcement just to understand the issue, especially because I had 48 you know, young girls in my children's home, and I, I wanted to protect them, but I also wanted to know what was happening in the community and what I might be able to do to help uh, reduced child exploitation. And, and these dialogues with police were so fascinating because they had the will to do the work, but they were underfunded, understaffed, undertrained, 
Um, and human trafficking is a very complicated crime to prove. And so law enforcement oftentimes would choose a much easier case in the hopes of rising through the ranks in their own career. And they would avoid these more complex uh, cases. And so as I began to, to do some research, I would collaborate with the police and I was traveling all around Thailand. I was, I was meeting other nonprofits who were fighting this. And I began to receive intelligence from the streets, from these nonprofit friends of mine. And I would just simply deliver that to law enforcement. Say, hey, there's this case of a potential minor being sold on this street corner or in this brothel. And the police loved it. They were like, Matt, this is really helpful to have some intelligence like this, but it, it kind of evolved from there to, hey, we will do this case. We will go rescue this child, but it's a little outside of our jurisdiction or this is, you know, tertiary information. We need direct information. We need you to go. And that invitation from the police was unexpected. It wasn't really what I was in Thailand to do. Yeah, this kind of, talking, well, it's not your, your, at that time, it wasn't who you were and what you're about and wasn't your calling. Right. So they said, hey, we want you to go undercover. We want you to get the evidence uh, to help us rescue yeah. these people. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, you know, I've had some great ideas over the years. And I say that sarcastically. And I talked to my wife and she goes, are you out of your mind? What is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, Matt, you're going, to, uh, uh, let me go talk to my wife about it. You go home. And you do what you got to do. And then you're like, honey, I, I think I want to work undercover for the Thai Royal Police to combat sex trafficking. How did that conversation go? It was not an easy conversation for sure. But the thing that really grabbed our hearts was that we had three children of our own. And we knew enough about uh, poverty in the communities where we were and were serving to know that a lot of times these families are tricked, they're deceived into putting their child in a, in a truck to be taken to a larger city on the hopes of a, of a good job. Like that's the, the lie that they believe. And honestly, that's not too far from what we do as Americans. We, we get our kids through school and we send them off and out of the house in the hopes of a career and a, and a future and a hope and that's what these impoverished village families were doing. They were, they were trying to, to help their kids, yeah. but they didn't know it. They were deeply deceived, and actually they were dooming their kids to a life of slavery and rape. Um, so when, when my wife and I became aware of that, it felt a little bit like, well, how can we, in all good conscience, say no when... Supporting law enforcement could mean freedom for a child who has no other hope. And so my wife looked at me in the eyes and she said, Matt, we have to do this. Let's do it. And so I was deputized in the Thai Royal Police. And I began to go undercover from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. in uh, every dark brothel and alley that I could find. And I would map, I had a map that I would give to law enforcement, and I began to find children being offered to me for purchase for sexual services, 
And I would report back to law enforcement, write up a field report, and they would say, Matt, this is great, but we want you to wear covert recording devices so we can see what you see. Well, that kind of elevated my risk level, right? Yeah. <laughs> if I'm caught, if I'm caught with that kind of recording devices, uh, that, that could go very badly for me. And, and I said, well, I'm willing to do it. Do you have any covert recording devices? And they said, no. <laughs> So I had to figure out how to put together a a small kit uh, to record audio and video and conceal that on my person, which I did. And it was it was hard for me. It was terrifying for me. And I know law enforcement officers do this all around the world. But for me, this was new. Let's stop it right there. I I did undercover work for a short period of time. I did a lot of plain clothes work. There's a big difference. And the truth is, I'm horrible at undercover work. I always look like the cop. I'll, I'll always look like a cop when I'm like 85 and old folks home. And no matter what my cover story was, it never worked. So it takes a special person to be able to do that. And my hat's off to them because they really put themselves in dangerous situations. All police work is dangerous, no matter where you are. But to be undercover in Thailand, I can only imagine the brutality of what happens there. Yeah, it was intimidating. And, you know, there wasn't really anyone to teach me how. And so I remember those first movements of building my first covert kit and wearing it and practicing the filming in a way that looked natural and going in and filming. I still remember very vividly that first case of, uh, I believe she was probably 16 years old. Uh, her name was Tang Mu in Thai, which means um, watermelon is her nickname. And the, the mama-san, I filmed the whole thing, and she offered me this young girl for like $45, and I negotiated the price. And then, then the real trick is backing out of the deal, you know, in an appropriate way to say, well, I might come back tomorrow, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And, and then delivering that footage to law enforcement and law enforcement was overwhelmed. I'm, I'm sure and they, they were. And when we're going to take a short break, when we return, one of the things I really want to focus on is, in this case, how you developed a skill set to get the evidence that you needed and then found a way to back out. Because the truth is, when you have these operations anywhere in the world, we have what they call muscle or enforcers nearby watching and when there's any kind of signal they come in and violence can happen this is the law enforcement today show we're talking with matt parker from the exodus road go online their website is the exodusroad.com don't go anywhere we'll be right back hey folks when you have a chance check out our facebook page do a search on facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. Return conversation with Matt Parker calling us from Colorado. He is the co-founder and CEO of The Exodus Road. Their website's theexodusroad.com. They help rescue the train They do all kinds of work worldwide combating sex trafficking. Before we end a break, Matt, you're talking about working undercover in Thailand, getting evidence. 
of these child sex trafficking and slavery operations. And you're talking about your first case. And what I think is really tricky, and you kind of mentioned it, is getting the evidence. First of all, you had to build the recording kit yourself because they didn't have the resources to do that. You get the evidence. Then you have to find a way to say, ah, never mind, maybe tomorrow. If you don't handle that right, it could get ugly very, very fast. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, there wasn't anybody to guide me through it. But but I, I'm a very social person, and I think that was to my advantage to put everyone in that room at ease. You had mentioned, Jay, that that's, that's a complex skill set, and it is. But I, I happen to possess a lot of social skills, and I can put people at ease. And so I befriend the traffickers, and I befriend the girls or the boys being sold, and and lighthearted and not so serious. Uh, So taking a very dark and sinister environment where people are bought and sold and really just being kind to everybody and and, and putting everybody at ease, that's a skill I had. But it was terrifying for me to do that with this body-worn covert apparatus, you know, gathering audio and and video intelligence. but I did it, and every time I would, I would make notes and I would kind of learn and get better at it, and those notes I would share with law enforcement. They would give me some pointers, and it, it turned into a best practices document, um, and the Exodus Road now has that. It's our field operations manual, and it's approved by our ethics committee of our board, and it governs our behaviors and actions undercover to protect these girls, to protect our operators. So what started with me and an undercover uh, camera in Southeast Asia has grown into 80 staff in six countries around the world, wow. training law enforcement and rescuing kids. And today we've rescued over 1,500 children. That's a, a mind-blowing statistic, and it's mind-blowing work, and it, it's God's work. It's incredible stuff you're doing. Uh, I want to go back to that first case, because everything yeah. starts with a first, and that's got to be the most nerve-wracking for you. You get better as you go along, more comfortable, develop the skill sets you need to be better at it. You said she was 16. She was being sold to you, I think, for $45. What was the outcome of that case? I'm happy to say that that brothel was shut down and and every brothel on that street. Um, It took took a couple of years. A lot of times these cases aren't quick cases, but uh, every single brothel on that street, there was about six of them, uh, has been shut down permanently, which was a huge win for us. That's, That's great news. I'm sitting here imagining as you're telling your story, Matt, you know, I'm a very emotional person most of the time you wouldn't know it on the inside i i can feel like a terrible wreck of a human being and just emotions and and raw nerves and the outside seem cool when you're dealing with someone in police work i found when i dealt with someone who committed crimes against children uh physical abuse emotional abuse and sexual abuse i had a very difficult time not showing the effects, wanting to strangle that person, wanting to beat that person, wanting to do all the things that you see in the movies, but you don't want to be the person that ruins the case. So you don't. You develop some sort of armor where you don't do it, but it takes a toll on you. After a while, those things, those memories, those feelings, they don't go away. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And 
the, there's a trauma. I mean, it's really trauma and this tertiary trauma of, of observing violence against children or sexual violence, rape, oftentimes in these environments right in front of you, these, these acts against children. And that is, you're right, Jay, the most difficult thing I've ever had to do is, you know, put on this mask, pretend to be someone I'm not for the sake of this eventual justice that we're working towards and this freedom we're working towards. Because if you blow the case, those girls will disappear. Those traffickers will disappear and they'll go commit these crimes again somewhere else. Right. Exactly. And so the, the pressure of not screwing it up is significant. And I, I have seen things that I wish I would never have seen. And the, the burden of that, it does stick with you like you're describing. And uh, all of our investigators, we require trauma therapy for them. And uh, we form a very tight bond. We have four investigation units, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, and those are divided up by region of the world. But we become a type of a family. Uh, we we kind of bear each other's burdens and hold each other up because you're right. When you put yourself in these environments, um, it weighs on your soul. And we rescue lots of kids, but there's a lot of kids we can't rescue. This problem is so proliferate. Um, for the hundreds and the thousands we've rescued, there's thousands more we weren't able to. But every arrest that we make has a cascading effect, a ripple effect in the community. And we've arrested just uh, around 900 traffickers. And sometimes we even get to bulldoze the brothel. In India, we get to bulldoze the brothel. And it sends this message into the community that we will not stand for child exploitation on our watch and in our communities. And it is having this systemic impact, which is really the goal, is to change the way the world looks at and accepts child exploitation. We cannot stand by and allow this to take place. Uh, and most of us know, we know that, hey, that, that uh, massage parlor on the corner, that place is no good. <laughs> you know, yeah. we see high amounts of foot traffic in and out of these establishments, and we have to be empowered to rise up on behalf of our communities and the children of our communities and say, not on my watch. And that's, that's what we do. But the trauma is very, very real. I have seen people murdered. I have seen people stabbed. And my life has been at risk myself. And, and those aren't things I'm proud of. Those are just the truth about what this work costs. That's the, the um, ugly side of this kind of work. And one of the questions I have for you is, and I'll, I'll put it in reference to me. I live by a certain moral compass. I live by a certain set of faith-based rules that I don't vary from. As an adult, it's been that way the entire time. But when I work undercover work, when I work police work, a lot of times you have to protect their rights. You, you kind of have to wear two different sets of armor and be someone you're not. And it can create a huge internal conflict for you. I can only imagine that would be the case for you working undercover to get to rescue sex trafficking victims. Absolutely. It's just so important to have that community around you um, because when you go undercover, you do. You put on that mask and you, 
you kind of become a different person. But we, we, we recognize early on, I did, the dangers to the human spirit of this work. And that's where we stood up processes around our operatives for counseling, trauma therapy, debriefing, mission briefing, debriefing. Uh, to walk out the trauma, talk through it. We have a doctor of psychology who donates their time to help our operatives as they re-enter, is what we call it, the re-entry process, when they come back from undercover operations or deployment to deal with the things that we saw. And we have very strict protocols of how we behave undercover, where we put our hands and what we're allowed to, to, you know, we call it controlling the operational with environment. A short break. On that note, we're going to turn to our conversation with Matt Parker in just a moment. So much more you don't want to miss. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We're going to talk about work the Exodus Road does, work he continues to do, the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Turn conversation with Matt Parker, co-founder and CEO of The Exodus Road. Their website's theexodusroad.com. To put it bluntly, they do worldwide work to rescue sex trafficking victims to shut these operations down to help police across the globe Uh, they do really really phenomenal work under horrible situations matt you talked about your unexpected journey into undercover work and you talked about the first case that you were able to solve the youngest victim how old were they seven months old and we say the oldest for children, it could be, in our terminology, 18, 17, but I imagine 13, 12, 11, 14, probably big. Yeah, the majority of, of survivors we encounter are between 11 and 14. That's, that's really the majority. Of course, there's a lot of, uh, you know, human trafficking hides itself in all these different venues, and we, we've rescued domestic servants who've been enslaved, domestic slaves, you know, in their 50s. Um, but as far as the, the sex trafficking piece, uh, the average age is really between 11 and 14. And I bring that up because, and, and this kind of makes me sick to my stomach to say, but there is a mindset for a certain segment of our population. They want children that have not entered puberty yet. That's what they look for. Right. And there's a group in Hollywood that advocates going on these trips to do this sort of thing. And they are despicable, and I'm not going to mention names, but there are well-known celebrities that have been on the run for decades that are wanted for this sort of stuff. And it's about time we all said, I love what you said earlier, not on my watch. This no longer is going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. There's tours all around the world. You're right. Um, And we fight those tours and... I have put lots of people in prison, and I think that's one of the things I, I want communicated is, you know, it's not it's not safe to conduct it yourself this way, and we're kind of making sure of that. We're happy to help law enforcement arrest and prosecute anybody who's willing to abuse a child, and the, the weakest link to human trafficking is they never know who their clients are. 
they have to open the doors to the brothel or to their tours, but they can't be sure that one of my operatives isn't on the boat or in the brothel with them. And, and there's this fear that I'm proud to be a part of creating. And it's not just the Exodus Road, it's others who have instilled this sense of fear within the trafficking community that they may be caught. They may be Good. found out. Good. They need to be caught. They need to be found out. They need to be exposed. And I, I don't care who you are. If you're into this thing, you need to be exposed. And it's, I'll, I'll say this again. It's just not a Southeast Asian problem. It's all over. When you look at the United States, for example, look at teenage runaways, kids who are on the borders of getting in trouble, they escape, they go to a big city, they go, the, the typical route is the bus station, and they're preyed upon by pimps and other types of sex traffickers. And they've got literally kids out there, 14, 15, 16 years old, that are trapped. Absolutely, that's true. And I think empowering people in the community to be watching and aware and willing to say something is so important. Bus stops, transportation uh, hubs, you know, airlines. We we have donors and constituents who have found Ugandans being trafficked to Saudi Arabia, and we were able to intervene just because uh, somebody saw something on a plane and gave us a call. Uh, but it is imperative we mobilize uh, civil society to stand up and rise up on behalf of kids and not just wait for law enforcement to do all of it. We have to be the eyes and the right. ears of our community. What's he saying? See something, say something. And yeah, we have a lot of different jurisdictions without getting into politics, which I despise the partisan political conversation. We have a lot of jurisdictions in the United States alone. They're trying to lessen the impact of the criminal impact of sex workers and crimes and prostitution, other things. And I don't think they really give full measure weight to how broad this is, how many people are being trapped in this, how many people have no way out, and how many of them are underage. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I've, I've been in over 2,000 brothels around the world, and I have interviewed and spoken with hundreds and hundreds of victims. And what looks to be knowing and willing participation in the sex trade on the outside is not a guaranteed thing because these girls are oftentimes and boys under duress. They have to meet quotas to pay back their debt if they're under debt bondage. So you can't just, you know, judge the book by its cover when it comes to sex work. Um, and you know, the Exodus Road doesn't fight sex work. We fight human trafficking. Right. But unfortunately, we find trafficking victims hidden in prostitution and in sex work. And so it's really, really tricky, and I've never met a knowing and willing sex worker who said, hey, I want this job so much, I'm, I'm okay with a 12-year-old being abused against their will. I've never had that happen. So even those who desire to have the freedoms to participate in this type of work, they don't want human trafficking to be going on either. No. But the challenge is there's, it's very difficult uh, especially in countries where prostitution or sex work is legal uh, and unregulated, to know you know how old participants are and falsification of documents. All these issues are central to, to protect the children of our communities. And we hit a certain age, like I have. Everybody looks like they're twelve to me. So it's they could be eighteen and they look like they're thirteen, 
and 13 year olds look like they're 10. So, but this, this type of work, and I use that term with air quotes, they don't walk around a sign saying I'm being trafficked. I'm being forced to do this against my will. They have to put on a happy face. If they don't, the beatings will commence. The torture will commence. And they pay a, a heavy price. And there's also, quite often, and we won't get to cover this due to time, there are threats to the safety of their families. So they walk around with this burden. If I don't do what I'm supposed to do, they're going to kill my mother and father. That's absolutely right. There's no witness. There's not a lot of witness protection outside of the United States. So having said all this, first of all, my hat's off to you, your organization, all the work you do. As a, a nonprofit charity, one of the things that I hear all the time from nonprofit charities is that fundraising is the other F word. It just never ends. It's always difficult. You can't do this work and not get donations. How can people help you? Yeah, thank you, Jay. That's, that's, that's exactly it. We cannot do this work without people contributing to it. It's that simple. Um, both corporations and private households and individuals. You can go to our website, theexcessroad.com, and it's super easy to donate monthly or one-time gifts to rescue victims of trafficking, as well as take care of them once we recover them through our Beyond Rescue program and help us train law enforcement all around the world. Those are our three core programs. and you, if you, It's just so simple to donate, and we need it. Uh, in order to continue forward and, and grow what we're doing, which is important. Um, so that's, you're right, Jay, it's fundraising comes hand in hand with nonprofit work, and it is uh, very much something we have to do as well in order to, to make human trafficking a dangerous thing. To and I'm, sh- I'm sure you wish you'd never had to ask people for money ever again. This is uncomfortable. I don't even like asking people for money when it's a sales thing. Right. And I think, you know, for me, it's I'm inviting people into someone's future freedom. And it just feels a little different than asking for money. It's asking for freedom for somebody that we'll never know or meet, uh, most of us, but that we have the honor and privilege to, to help rescue and free and, and follow them through their future life. And so a lot of people, when they think about how can I make a difference, this makes a difference. This changes lives. It makes trafficking dangerous. It puts criminals behind bars. And that's, that's worth doing. Again, your website is theexodusroad.com. People get more information there, and I imagine they can get a hold of you as well and your your team that does such great work. Are you also on social media? Yes, sir. Uh, at the Exodus Road, you guys can follow us on all the major platforms, but start with our website because it has an amazing free resource for everybody called Traffic Watch. And it's an online training course. People can learn more about trafficking for free right through our website. Uh, it's called Traffic Watch. So that's a great place to start. And all that can be found at theexodusroad.com. Matt, I want to thank you for your awesome work you're doing. You and your team, please tell them I said thank you very much. And really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.